Greetings, fellow citizens of Disneyland. Bricky here with this week's episode of Disneyland for Designers, where me, Bricky, I talk about Disneyland. Everything that happened last week, Monday, June 20th, to Sunday, the 26th. Let's look back on the week that was at the Disneyland Resort. And let me just say, I've been asking you each week, just let me know that you're listening. And your comments have really, really made this an exciting part of the week. Uh, I'm somebody that's not afraid to work hard. In fact, I love working hard. But what I love even more than that is working hard on something that I know that matters, that's making a difference. I don't want to work hard just to say that I did it. I spend too many years of my life doing that. So everybody let me know that you're listening and following along. It's really got me excited to do this every Monday. I would wish that you would continue to just keep letting me know. Just just a quick bricky listen this week. I enjoyed it. You don't have to go deep. I just need to know that you're there. It makes me want to keep doing this. And it's also got me sort of daydreaming about how to better use this space, this weekly conversation that we have where we look back at the Disneyland Resort. So friends, what do you say? Let's look back at the week that was when summer officially landed at the summer season at the Disneyland Resort. Look, it's Disneyland. On Monday, June 20th, Disney said, hey, later on this week, we're going to be announcing our holiday announcements for the Disney parks. And then later on in the week, we got that announcement that believe in holiday magic that's been at the park since the year 2000. So 20-ish, 20-ish holiday seasons. Because don't forget, in 2020, we didn't get a holiday season at the park and my heart's still broken. But believe in holiday magic will return. This is the nighttime projections and lighting that happens over on Sleeping Beauty where 80,000 lights remind you 80,000 reasons why you love the holiday season. If you're like me, which I'm just a complete Christmas junkie, holidays junkie, and then at Disneyland is just magic stacked on top of magic. But I really do enjoy the Believe fireworks show. I mean, I do think that it could be updated a little bit. The the beginning, like, do you think it'll snow? You know, when, when the little boy is talking to the woman, Uh, You know, that part's got a lot of magic in it. But the show itself, I do believe it could be refreshed. I could believe, could be convinced that it could pull more on the heartstrings. Because Christmas time, I just want to cry. I want to feel it. I want to embrace it. I want to have it just pour out from me. So I do think that the show could use a little bit of a refresher. I think that it's good, but not great. But nonetheless, I am super excited that it's coming back. And the one rare time where I'll say I think that a show in DCA is superior to what happens over in Disneyland, over in California Adventure, we will see World of Color Season of Light return. And I'll tell you why I like this show a little bit better. Because the soundtrack rips through so many holiday classics. They spent the money on licensing. You know, when Nat King Cole kicks it all off at the top of the show, you know what you're in for. And I I love that this show takes place in the real Christmas multiverse, right? Like these are songs that we know. For example, when Goofy's out there and the whole thing explodes during uh, Mannheim Steamroller. I think that's their name, right? That whole vibe goes on. And of course, you know, Goofy blows up the entire lagoon because that's Goofy's right to do what he does i just think that season of light because it uses lots of these different songs and it rips through so many more memories that it it gets me there faster more emotionally well i mean it actually gets me there as soon as the opening number from nat king cole drops and to hear christmas music at that volume there's been times when i've gone over there and it's really crowded around the the lagoon it's really crowded on the bridge and i go you know what I've seen this show so many times. I don't need to take the space of somebody else. And, you know, I'm 5'11", six foot tall dude. So if I'm standing up, there's a chance that a family or a mom behind me is not seeing what's up. So there's been times that I've gone over to one of my favorite places in DCA. It's the place where I had a good cry. I mean, a solid Disney cry when the park reopened for Touch of Disney. And I finally got to walk through a Disney park for the first time in 300 and something days. 
there's this backside of the Silly Symphony Swings. And this is me in Disneyland in a nutshell. Never, ever have I rode this, the swings. The attraction, the ride that brings so many people in. Oh, dude, we ripped the swings 12 times on Friday. Yeah, I don't care about that. What I care about is that the swings are built up on a second tier so that you feel higher. And that worked better when it was, what, the orange peeler? Is that what it was called? When they had that big orange out on the uh, the, the Paradise Pier area? I, I think that the orange should have stayed. Just the giant orange in Orange County, that's the one California thing that I really wish would have stayed. Orange peeler? What was that thing called? Yeah, you'll let me know. You, you love to let me know when I get it wrong. But it was all designed to be up high so you get a good view, so you feel like you're swinging out over the water. I'm assuming I've never rode it. That thing would make me so sick. But on the bottom level, water side, there's a concrete walkway around there. And there's a couple of benches. Sometimes they pull out the benches. Sometimes they bring them back. Sometimes they use it as an exclusive magic key holder spot for a, a photo event. I hate that. Because what I think that this space belongs to are the vibe chasers. Because you can sit out there and just kind of watch it all go by. And when I finally got there on my epic first lap back in DCA after just, you know, weeks and weeks of going to the park every week and filming and documenting, guys, the rope has moved four feet in Grizzly Flats. We now have four feet more, four feet more of DCA. And then reporting two weeks later, friends, the rope has moved back. 25 feet. We have lost all of this stretch heading off to Cars Land. The performance corridor now stops at the edge of Carthay Circle, going over to the information kiosk. And in sad news, we're in a weird moment in time where you can buy a sipper, but it is illegal to buy the sipping beverage. You can buy the popcorn bucket, but you are not allowed to buy the popcorn. So to be able to get over to the bottom of the swings base, to sit out on that little concrete walkway and just soak in the magic. It's one of my all-time favorite quiet spaces in DCA. Off the top of my head, I'm going to say it's my favorite. But give me five minutes, and I could be convinced that another spot is more magical. But the reason why I bring this up and go down this long side story is, one, I love to talk about Disneyland, and I love to talk about it with you. Thanks for hanging out with me this week. But number two, I've gone there before. And I didn't want to take the spot of a guest that hadn't seen the holiday show. I didn't want to be tall and block out a spot for somebody else because I'm six foot seven. I went over to the lagoon and just sat on a bench. You can't really see the projections. I mean, you can tell that there's lights. You can't see the show from there, though. But I just wanted to sit there and just hear that Christmas soundtrack. And I also wanted to do what I love the most. Look across the bay and see all the little faces, all the people enjoying the holidays. The kiss goodnight like Walt wanted it after a long day of ripping the park during the holiday season when it's magic stacked on top of magic. It's coming back. We're halfway to the holidays and I'm all the way excited. Over on Tuesday, June 21st, an article started to pop up, which I'm always obsessed with the, the different patents that Disney files for. This one was for a mobile robot locker that would carry guest items at the theme parks. Now, it's a little bit unclear. Would the mobile locker actually like, follow you and, and carry your stuff, or would it have its own proprietary track where it could easily take something from land A over to land C if you decided that you needed to get something out of your locker? I'm not exactly sure how the, quote, robotic Sherpa would work. I mean, a Disneyland with lots of little robots cruising through it, I mean, they'll barely let R2-D2 out. And by the way, have you seen how R2-D2 works? The, the unassuming Disneyland dad who's just walking behind R2 with a cup of coffee in his hand and then his other hand inside of his jacket controlling it? So sick. I love it. I feel like the best spot for R2-D2 or other droids 
at Star Wars Galaxy's Edge is underneath the Millennium Falcon. They perfectly have that area fenced off. That way Chewie or Ray can go from spot to spot, meet and greet with the guests, and it gives them the flexibility to not get swarmed by guests. So they can easily kind of move around, talk to somebody, do a photo, go over to the next spot. That area should just have two or three different droids buzzing at all times. They could even put the droids on a preset Bluetooth track that they walk around so they wouldn't run into each other and there wouldn't have to be people constantly remote controlling them. But that area is perfect for droid activity because it's relatively flat and it's guarded from guests. So if you went over to the Falcon and there was just droids cruising around and doing maintenance, what an extra level of storytelling that would bring. But I bring this up because in the past, do you remember when Disney was trying out a robot over in Tomorrowland. It just one day just kind of popped up. And one of the reasons why we've never seen the droids just kind of roaming around Star Wars Galaxy's Edge as I've come to understand it, is when they've done these demos, they've done these tests, the guest behavior is so bad. They're like, oh, this is dangerous because eventually kids just want to try to run and jump in front of the robot to see if the robot will hit them. Because when you're a kid, you're never going to die. And surely you're not going to die of death by robot in Disneyland. But then again, think about how the children act with the ducks. They get so excited to see an animal that they rage charge at said animal. And the parents that don't tell their kids or kind of pull them aside, be like, hey, that thing's alive. You're literally chasing after a mother duck who's trying to protect her ducklings. Like when I see the parents that just laugh when their kid like rages after ducks, I go, yeah, it's humans. It's always been humans. We're the worst thing about this planet. As much as I love Disneyland and how it celebrates the planet by building all these rock structures and putting in all this perfect landscaping, we'd be so much better as a planet if we weren't on the planet. It's just like people just laugh and their kids are running and throwing stuff at the ducks. I'm like, it's alive. It's alive. You can really see a person's character on how they treat animals. Drives me insane. So I'm wondering about a place where people can't respect a duck that's alive or kids jump in front of the robot. How is the Sherpa? How is the Sherpa going to get around? The only way that I can imagine it is if the Sherpa were to have proprietary pass, a backstage system of lots of droids cruising and taking items from spot A to spot chimpanzee. But that seems extremely complicated when you could just walk back to your locker and get your diaper bag. I mean, is there a surgeon that I'm not aware of that's cruising around the Disneyland resort? That's like, yes, I am so busy. I'm going to go genie plus cause I'm very wealthy. I'm going to go genie plus rise of the resistance with my children. So they feel like they saw me this summer, but just so you know, I'm also going to perform a heart transplant. And it is very important that when I get off of rise, that that heart is waiting for me. I've checked the heart in to my locker over on main street, but could you please make sure that my Sherpa has the heart over to me because I have to do this heart transplant as soon as I get off of that's, that's not happening. Who is so important at a theme park on a day off that they have to have a robot bring them their items. I say that the technology might be real, but the excuse is a cover. It's a smoke screen. Why would Disney want to file for robots taking things around the park? I don't know. Is it for maintenance after hours to make their life easier so that they could just have these little Sherpas cruising things over? Is there uh, an ability where in the future a robot would have headsets with cast members and guests and a robot would lead a VIP walking a waltz footsteps type tour? And because you're with the robot, it could simply broadcast and with beacons, it would know where it's at. I'm trying to think of the scenario where there's a guest that's so damn important at Disneyland that they have to have a Sherpa bring them their, their cheese crackers for their baby. Oh, he gets hungry. He needs this little big Cheerio full of little Cheerios. Dustin gets so frustrated in the line of the Haunted Mansion if he doesn't have a snack at 2.15. He just needs the robot to bring it right over here to him. Oh, that's so precious. Let the robot come over and bring Dustin his little snack. Or take Dustin over to the locker and give him his snack. Like, who is so important that they would need this? I don't know. 
I love when Disney files for patents. I've studied hundreds of them, seen maybe two actually come into fruition. What are they up to? What are they up to? I'm going to make this my life's mission. I will figure out what the robot Sherpa is doing. I'm not buying this. And if you comment to me this week, give me one realistic scenario. I mean, you can give me jokes because I love reading your jokes, but you give me one real world scenario who's so busy while they're at a theme park that they need their robotic Sherpa to bring something to them. Give me one scenario and I'll believe it because I'm telling you friends, this is a smoke screen. This is a cover up. The patent may be real, but the reason for the patent, it's got to be a theme park lie. So this is when we kind of get into the summer season and things don't get that crazy. Wednesday, the biggest headline I could find that has anything to do with Disneyland is this. Special discounts available to Disney Visa card members staying at the Disneyland Resort hotels in August and September. Now, no affiliate links. Nobody would sponsor anything I do. Trust me, I've tried. I'm a nomad. I'm out on my own. Too rough around the edges to be an influencer and too rough on the corporation to ever get accepted as part of their panel. I'm right where I want to be. Disneyland's outlaw. But this is why I'm telling you that this promotion has gone out. Well, you know, to strengthen the relationship between Disney Visa card members. But also, this opens up a good conversation about staying on property. The DVC tower that's being built over at the Disneyland Hotel is a massive build-on. I mean, they're finally putting in the fourth and final tower. And as I've come to understand, I knew nothing about DVC a year ago from today. I knew nothing about it. But a great friend of mine hooked me up with a DVC stay last fall when I went out to Walt Disney World for the first time. And I got to see what it's truly like to stay inside the Disney bubble. And look, every time I say I love Walt Disney World, people are like, are you moving to Florida? Are you insane? There is no way I'm ever moving to Florida. And if you live there, I hope you're having a great time. But for me personally, my heart is in California. I consider myself a Californian before I consider myself an American. That's how much I love California. It was my dream ever since I got my first skateboard, ever since I bought my first punk albums, all I ever wanted to do was live in Southern California. Living here with my amazing wife and just down the street from Disneyland where when I let out my dogs, I do let out my dogs every night at 9.30 so I can hear the boom of the fireworks and it puts a smile on my face. But when I got to stay in the Disney bubble that exists, out in Walt Disney World. Wow. Is that magic? There's no, well, I got to get up. I got to let the dogs out. I got to feed the dogs. I got to take my shower. I got to drive down to the resort. I got to park my car. I got to meet my friends. Can't park up till one o'clock. It's just, you're in the bubble, bro. You're in it. And if you get lucky to stay at Bay Lake Tower, the contemporary, I had no idea how easy it is to get into the Magic Kingdom. You just take an elevator down walk through a parking lot, wait forever to cross one street, walk on a sidewalk. And then if you're not a YouTube dummy like me that has like a, you know, an Apple store on your back, you just walk right through. And then when you go up to the gate, all the gates are open, not just a section of them. All the turnstiles have one dedicated cast member there. You put your little watch up the thing, little light spins. You put your finger over there, which is the contract of I will now give you all of my financials and personal information. And uh, boom, you're in. I was blown away at how easy and efficient it is to get into the Magic Kingdom. I was blown away at how awesome it was to stay in a DVC hotel and be inside of the bubble. Living here has so many perks. Wah, I get to go to Disneyland once a week. But wah. I don't get to experience it like you do when you come in from out of town and that's all you're doing. So on my second trip uh, this spring out to the Magic Kingdom, I kind of came up with the line and I actually bumped into everybody's good friend Philander Butler this week when I was out filming. We talked for a little bit and we both kind of agreed that we work at Disneyland. I mean, he really works at Disneyland, but 
Disneyland is a place where I go and I create all kinds of content and I love going down there and I love tracking it. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I love the park. But I vacation at the Magic Kingdom because it's just so nice to get away. I, yeah, I film when I'm out there and I do stuff while I'm out there. But I'm just in the bubble. There's no burdens of my personal life. There's no realistic things that I have to do that day. It's just every day with my little council of friends. Well, hold on. What park are we doing in the morning? Where are we chilling in the afternoon? What park are we closing on? That's all I need to know. That's all I need to know. If I can edit a little bit of video, I'll edit a little bit of video. If I can record a podcast, I'll do it. I just need to know where we're ripping. And so to come to appreciate that, I now, for the first time, have the tools to understand what staying on property is like. And staying on property is crazy expensive. You can always find a better deal elsewhere, but you also do get what you paid for. And I'm a big believer in if you're going to do something, go all in. But this year, I would say don't go all in because that DVC t tower that's being built at the Disneyland Hotel, it's massive. And it is very noisy right now as they're framing, pouring concrete. I mean, they're putting up. I heard from a YouTube viewer that there's a concrete shortage because, you know, the world's ending and everything's short. You, you can't get formula for your baby. Why can't you find... <laughs> concrete for your skyscraper but when they're buzzing out there it's really loud and it sort of just looms right over the top of the monorail swimming pool but you can also hear it over in the area where people have their weddings i mean it makes a lot of noise and then also on the back side of the disneyland hotel i believe if you were to stay in the adventure tower adventureland tower that's right over the top of the construction project, which is going to be the reimagining of the Western end of downtown Disney, which that project has come to a complete pause. It's now been a month since I've, since I've seen anything happen over in the Sarlacc pit, but don't worry, Jabba no bother. They'll end up building it there eventually. So that's going to be noise as well. And then over at the soon to be announced Pixar pier hotel, that Hotel's going through a complete renaissance. It's getting rethemed. Everything's going to be going on over there. So we only can guess what the future of that hotel and its inconveniences are going to be. Then that leads the Grand Californian Hotel. It had a little bit of maintenance going on on the outside of it when they were building the proprietary pathway. So Pixar Pier Hotel guests could just pop over into um, DCA. So the Grand Californian might be safe from some or most of the construction noise, but it's also the most expensive. <laughs> so the reason why I feel like this discount is happening, and who knows? Somebody might be like, oh, Bricky, you're, they do this every August or September. Yeah, maybe they do. But maybe this was a really great excuse to bring up that the resort is busy. It's buzzing. And a burden of construction is all of the things that come along with it. Loud noise, weird pathways, things that you can normally do or shut down. So I just say, cautious if you save 10% because you're a Visa card holder, because you might lose 90% of your relaxing time if you just want to chill around a pool while somebody is building a skyscraper over the top of you. I'm just saying. Being in the Disney bubble, it's amazing, it's magic, but maybe not this year. And maybe not here. And yeah, it was a slow week out at the resort, so Thursday, the thing that caught my attention was this out on the East Coast. And this fits well into what we just talked about. My love of going to Walt Disney World, staying on property at DVC hotels, and the announcement that there's a villain's lair that's coming to the World Lounge at the Disney Contemporary Resort. Now, the Contemporary is one of those things that the first time I got to see it uh, last fall, it was so magical. Getting to see the Mary Blair uh, mosaics that are inside of the contemporary seeing a monorail come inside of a hotel and just the overall design of that whether it was seeing the contemporary from floating in a boat with Adam Wu 
when we took our boat out, which you got to do that. You got to take the boat out around uh, Bay Lake in the Seven Seas Lagoon. One of the best Disney experiences I've ever had. And once again, not associated with any rides whatsoever. Or maybe it was the time that me, Adam, and Dylan from Theme Park uh, Obsession stood out on the balconies filming and viewing the preview of whatever the new 50th nighttime show was. Yeah, that's how in the media we are. No media credentials, no passes. I mean, why give them to Adam? He's only got a half a million people that follow his YouTube channel. So we're standing on a deck on the contemporary balconies, like the the stairwell open to the public filming from over there. But I can only imagine that if you were to actually go to the top of the world lounge that has now a villain's layer theme to it, that's pretty cool. But my question is, how into the theme do they go? In a location like this where they actually have villains come through and walk around? Because, I don't know, for a restaurant like this, that does seem a little cheesy. But then again, I have been at Club 33 when Mickey and Minnie pop up to do a photo op in the little you know, the, the place where they sell the merchandise, where to the left, you can go across the peasants bridge over to the club nouveau, where you have to be with an actual club member sitting at your table, or you can go to the right, which is the original club 33 dining experience, which is one of the best dinners you'll ever have, but it will eat up a ton of your park time. So choose wisely. If this is something that you really want to do, if the opportunity lands in your lap, I've seen Mickey and Minnie pop up there and everybody gets pumped that there's for real a celebrity inside of club 33. You know, I've been there when Stamos was there and I've been there when Mickey and Minnie was there. Yeah. Stamos won. Stamos won. People were more excited about Stamos. I mean, he's such a poster child for the Disney brand, but it it was pretty close. Mickey was pretty close to Stamos magic. I'll say that, but the villains area on top of the contemporary at the world Top of the World Lounge. I am still learning this park. I'm not going to get all the details right. I'm not even going to kid you. I'm, I'm still learning all this. A villain's lair up there. I would have to assume, and the reason why I bought up Club 33 is because Club 33, if you dine in the restaurant side, it's magical. The food's amazing. The service is top notch. You will have a great time. But the first time I went, Beth and I went, we had an amazing dinner the best part of it all was that we were the last ones to leave the restaurant. And when we walked from New Orleans square over to main street, we never saw a cast member. We never saw a guest. It's me and my girl holding her hand, walking through the park. First time I ever wore dress shoes (laughs) to Disneyland. She looked amazing. And it was just like, wow, this is a night to remember. And that's the part that I do choose to remember that. And the amuse bouche that the chef gave us, there was like a tube And the tube tasted like Sunday dinner. Like you could just, you could hit like a pot roast in there. You could hit like a pocket of potato, like a little mac and cheese, a little bit of cornbread, some green bean casserole. It was literally like a, just a tube. Like if, if George Jetson himself was like, Oh, I feel like having Thanksgiving dinner. He would just hit this little tube. But when you go across what I nicknamed the peasants bridge, because you have to be sherpaed by a club member, or maybe the robotic Sherpa. When you go across the Peasants Bridge, which is nothing but wine bottles. And if you're like a crazy high-ender, I guess you could have a bottle of wine that you keep there. That's like so far out of the reach of where I'm at as a human. I can't even understand it. But let's talk about creative problem solving. This is a bridge that you're walking across. So you're going in where it was the old um, Courtyard of the Angels. You come up to the top. Oh, you're with the member. You can go to the left. Oh, you're here for dining. You can go to the right. When you go to the left and you cross the, what I refer to as the peasant's bridge, you're actually walking over the top of the thoroughfare beneath you, which is where people are walking around, coming out of pirates, going over to get beignets or standing in that very long bathroom line. The bathroom where I saw a guy, one hand, he was urinating. So you know where that hand was at. And the other hand, he was rocking a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and multitasking. He was doing both at the same time. What a hero. But the wine cellar that you walk through, it's to block out your vision lines so that you don't see people walking below you and they don't see you crossing the bridge and they don't have to have windows with like, you know, weird curtains on it. 
It's just like, oh, you're walking through a wine cellar to get over to Club Nouveau, the members only lounge, which is where there's all the magic. There's four booths along the way. Each booth has a theme to a different attraction. So maybe you're going to sit in this booth and there'll be a riverboat on the wall. And maybe something will happen to the riverboat while you're having dinner. Or you keep going and you go into the actual lounge where maybe there is a jazz band playing that night. Or maybe you look around the room and notice there's a ghost jazz band that's playing. Yeah. I know there's only room for one more over at the Haunted Mansion. Well, I'll let you know where there's four more. The ghost jazz band of Club Nouveau. Well, they're kind of the snooty ones because they're members. So maybe they don't want to go down there with the peasant ghost over in the mansion. But that room does have some Disney magic in it. But it also balances that Disney magic with a touch of elegance. I mean, these are people that pay a lot of money to be in this small sect of people, this very niche group of Disney fans that have the means to do the park different than everybody else. And the thing that I take away from it that I'm most impressed with is the sense of community. I've been fortunate enough to go there more times than I could count. And the thing that I always walk away with is like, that was Walt's vision to make Disneyland feel like a real little town that sits at the bottom of your Christmas tree or sits around your train set, a real little town that a train drives around and going inside of 33 and realizing that these people all know each other and they have known each other for a long time and they've seen their kids grow up and know about each other's life changes. That's the big thing that I take away. Now, obviously, Top of the World Lounge and a villain's lair full of tourists isn't going to have that same sense of community. But I wonder, will it have that same sense of understated theming and design to where you could imagine this is where the villains would hang out and plot some of their dark sorcery over the parks and all of its heroes? And will they do this with a touch of simplification, with a touch of class? I feel like if you get knocked over the head with it, then it's like Goofy's Kitchen for adults. I would like for it to be nice and subtle. I would like to feel as if it was intended in the original Dark Rides. I don't see Snow White because I am Snow White. I don't need to see the villains because, friend, I am the villain. Friends, one of the reasons why I'm loving this new format is because I'm literally looking over the headlines from the week that was, and it gets me into talking about things that I would never sit down and dream to make a podcast about. But so far, we've talked about hotels, dining experiences, best places to watch Christmas shows, even though we're not even yet into July. And the regular week ended out with reservations now available for Blue Bayou Restaurant in Disneyland. And so I'm going to simply say... Is the Blue Bayou worth it? Yes. If you can easily get a reservation to the Blue Bayou, and if you've never been there before, the food is good, the ambiance is even better. Getting to be inside of an attraction, eating inside of an attraction, it's pretty magical. The courtyard that you sit in, you sit alongside the river, so you will see guests in their boats getting ready to head off to do some pirates business. But you're doing some eating business and you're doing so in what feels like the courtyard of a little outdoor establishment somewhere inside of the quarter. I think that the menu, the quality of the food is great. And I've always had a really good time when I was there, when I've brought people there to celebrate. I've always had a great time. But because this is entertainment and I have to tell you the bad side to everything. I don't always know if it's worth the stress and the hassle to get in there. As of everything that I love about Disneyland, random is best. And sometimes you can snag the reservation or sometimes you can walk and be like, by any chance, do you have room at all for four today? And that's when the Blue Bayou has been its best. Trying to go out of your way, ensure that you have a table for this certain day, a, a, a birthday or a friend coming in from out of town, an anniversary, that type of stress drives me nuts. So if you ask me, is it worth going to the Blue Bayou? I'd say, yeah. Is the food good? 100%. What about the vibe? Great vibe. Is it worth all the stress? 
Absolutely not. I see people freak out, stress out about getting these reservations, and I refuse to play that game. If it lands in my lap, I'll take it. Am I going to walk across the street for it? Absolutely not. I don't think that certain experiences at the park are worth all of the stress and agony that comes along with procuring these experiences, and I put Blue Bayou at the very, very top of the list. It's awesome. It's fun. It is not worth the stress of getting in there. I wish there was an easier system, but if you've ever kind of cruised around on the Disneyland app, it can be very hard to find quality places to eat unless you book it way, way, way in advance. The days of kind of just roaming around and finding a spot, those days feel like they could be gone. Or you could still roll the dice and you could get lucky. You could be blown away. You could be surprised and you could walk away with having an amazing memory for something that is an amazing memory because you didn't have to try to crush your soul to achieve it. Being a Disney fan is kind of interesting, especially a fan that makes content. Because when Disney announced that they were doing this adventure by Disney trip, which was $110,000, it'd be a private jet to parks all around the world. That is what everybody wants to make a video about. Oh man, can you believe it? $110,000. Is there any end to Bob Chapik's greed? No. But what people don't talk about is the fact that it's sold out. It's sold out in its pre-sales. They had this whole big long line of how they were going to sell this out. If you're a part of this group, you get the first crack and then it moves down to this person, this person, this person. It's gone. It's done. 75 people were able to spend $109,000 on this trip that will go July 9th to August 1st, 2023. 75 people were easily able to drop one hundred and nine, nine hundred and ninety-five thousand dollars doll hairs. That is an insane amount of money. And the fact that there was 75 people that could just do this, man, it is wild. That's the part of the story that I'm fascinated about. Not, oh, can you imagine Disney's doing it? It's to quote Jerry Seinfeld, who are these people? Like, this is insane. It's a bucket list adventure for 75 ultimate Disney fans. This dream vacation spans 24 days and covers six countries that includes all 12 uniquely magical Disney theme parks worldwide, as well as three iconic landmarks. Taj Mahal. Is it going to be the Bindi Taj Mahal from Travel Around the World, Soaring Over the World? Is it going to be that Taj Mahal or is it going to be the real one? The Pyramids of Giza and the Eiffel Tower. Is it going to be the Bindi Eiffel Tower? Or is it going to be the straight one that I saw when I went to Paris? Because the Bindi Eiffel Tower and sort of around the world is, is not my favorite Eiffel Tower. Throughout the trip, you'll stay in world-class accommodations, including the rare opportunity to be a guest at Summit Skywalker Ranch. That's pretty cool. Plus, you'll travel in luxury, VIP, configured Boeing 757, operated by Icelander with long-range capabilities, that allows for direct flights to maximize your time in each destination. Yo, that is sick. Because a lot of times when you fly in a PJ, you compromise distance for elegance and service. So the fact that this is a Boeing 757 that can just rip from destination to destination without doing all those little stops, this is sounding more and more like a bargain every minute. You also enjoy personalized access the staff will provide fun facts. Oh, so I get a philander that's going to sit next to me the whole time? Sold. It's so funny that there's the outrage on the corporation for selling a $109,000 ticket. But where is the outrage? Or where, where do all these influencers go when 
it's time for 75 people to buy these out of the gate. And Disney makes a cool $8.1 million. And why wouldn't you? I'm telling you right now, if I figured out I could sell something to 75 people and walk away with $8.1 million, doing it tomorrow. I'm doing it right now. By the way, link below, Bricky travels the world. Actually, it's funny. I had looked into maybe just doing this on my own. I'm not there financially yet. Like where I'm at with making my Disney content, like I make money off of it, but you know, I'm not exactly where I want to be at this point in my life at this age, but I thought about it. Talked about it with a good friend who is sharp as a tack. I said, you know, if I just did this trip on my own, <laughs> like if I just set out to do the same thing that these people are doing for $109,000, but I tried to do it for like twenty dollars or $30,000 and document the whole thing and document it daily vlogs, like just take you on that journey with me and just really like promote it and make it a big adventure. I bet people be into it. And I bet it'd be the type of thing that afterwards I would see myself in a way different spot with my job than where I was at when I started. It would be an insane amount of work and it'd be even more money. And when I started to look at airline tickets and figured out, I'm like, oof, this is probably the most expensive time in history to do something so stupid. And then there's convincing my wife, who is a very understandable person. I'm going to be gone for three and a half weeks and I'm going to conservatively spend about $30,000, but don't worry when I get home, I'll have 10,000 more followers on my YouTube channel. <laughs> She's great. She's awesome. She ain't that awesome. She ain't that great. <laughs> That's a hard sell for any partner. If I was further ahead, if I could swap out my spot for a couple of my peers, I think I would do it. I think that I'm crazy enough to pull it off and crazy enough to envision how it could work and how somebody could do it and be like, Hey, I did the entire thing on my own for $70,000 less. And it'd be even funnier if I did it on the same dates that those people did it. on. Like that's just the type of thing that just gets me excited. But when I look at this from across the way from somebody who studies the park, and you know, I, I try to always tell you the things that I love about Disney. And I always try to tell you the things that I hate about Disney. And I try to criticize everything in between with like an intelligent mindset of that's rad. That could be better. That's a little sketchy. This is where it's at. I mean, I just did a video talking about my predictions for D 23 and it literally just didn't say, Hey, I don't think that they're going to do a lot. Cause that's easy. It's easy just to complain. I built a case. I showed you what they did from the last D23, how many of those projects have concluded and how many of them went away. I showed you how some projects such as a project out of Epcot completely got reversed and they're basically building the thing that they tore down because they don't want to do the expensive thing that they had dreamt up. And so I presented you a case. I said, Hey, does this corporation look like somebody who's going to go nuts when it comes to the D23 parks panel? Will they project that they're going to do a lot of rad stuff where right now they're kind of, you know, reining in the spinning a little bit, but to be fair, I also brought out the fact that Bob Chapik spent more money on the Disney parks than anybody ever did when it was his job to run the Disney parks. It's a little unclear. Is that just because that was Iger's bidding because Bob Iger was his boss at the time, or was that how Chapik saw growing the parks takes money to make money? We'll find out. We'll find out because the Bob Chapik era begins at this D23. So far, we've seen him reacting and responding to a crisis and reacting to another leader's playbook. But all those plays have been played. He's now officially the head coach. Josh tomorrow is the assistant head coach. And whatever we see in September, it's their vision of the Disney parks. Good, bad, or indifferent. But I really try to cover it in a balanced way. Cause I do feel like Chapik has gotten a really bad rep. He's not a very likable guy. He just kind of comes off a little bit awkward. And I think that that awkwardness has been misconstrued into some sort of evil genius. And Hey, not everything about how the parks have reopened. Have I been on board with, but it also all hasn't been bad. 
I love the magic of the park, but I equally love the business of making the magic at the park. I try to think of myself as an informed, intelligent fan that keeps one foot in reality, looking at the business and how it's all constructed and made, and then another foot in the escapism that it's intended to be. And I feel like some people have two feet planted over in the business world and criticizing everything, and some people have two feet planted over in the imaginary and the imagination, and there's never been anything that's been done wrong because it's all magic and beautiful. I like to be in the middle somewhere. But I do find it's interesting that everybody goes crazy about the $109,000 ticket, and then everybody disappears when all 75 of them are sold in pre-sales. Like, that's wild. And what's even more wild is to try to do it on a budget. And if things were different, I would for sure do it. I don't know. Maybe this is me being a coward. Maybe it's me being a coward. Maybe I should bet big now to win big. Maybe that's why I'm where I'm at, because I haven't been fearless enough. But I don't know, man. <laughs> when I look back on my life, I feel like I've been pretty fearless. Each week, I'm trying to end with sort of a story of something that I saw out at the park or, or like last week because I hadn't been at the park due to my eye surgery. And thank you for everybody that wished me a, a speedy recovery. I'm happy to report that my vision is insane now that I have um, prosthetic lenses in both of my eyes. That's right. I see the world not as is the cup half empty. Is the cup half full? I used to just say, hell, I'm just excited to have a cup. I never even thought about the contents inside of the cup. But now with my prosthetic lenses, I don't see what's in the cup. I don't see the half empty, the half full. I see the molecular buildup of the cup. I see the imprinted patent number on the bottom of the cup that nobody else can find. I'm the one that knows that every in and out cup says John 316 in the folds because my robot vision lets me see it. But I've been having a lot of fun doing this the last couple of weeks, and I appreciate all of you that reached out to me. And following sort of the headlines of the week, it gets us into doing interesting episodes like today. All of these things are fun to talk about. I never would have thought to put these bizarre list of topics in a straight line and talk about them. Just like also, I would never thought to tell you about what I'm going to tell you about right now. When I went out to the resort this past Thursday, the most magical thing I saw was this. They're celebrating Black Music Month out at the park. And they have this band of four guys that do acapella, yeah, you know, pentatonics would be the easy way to say it. But I hate that band, so I won't say it. They're four guys that do acapella music and, and sing various different songs. All related to Black History Month, of course. And so they're singing... And Clarabelle is just cutting a rug. I mean, those big red pumps are just going back and forth. And Clarabelle is just dancing like crazy. And there's like a nice circle around her and her wrangler, the, you know, the cast members that wear the khaki and that weird, odd printed polo that are the wranglers of the characters that are out on, you know, on foot walking around the park. She's dancing too. She's dancing well, but Clarabelle is throwing it down. And so people were enjoying the band, but they're also enjoying watching this oversized cow cut a rug in the hub of DCA. And I was watching her and I was filming her and I was thinking about it. I'm like, these are the things that do not cost a lot of money. These are the magical moments that doesn't take so many resources. It's one trained cow reacting to a moment with the wrangler next to him to sort of protect them and keep their sight lines all clear. It's not a huge investment, but it matters so much. And to the little girl dressed like Tinkerbell that wandered up and wanted to dance with her. She, she, she was blown away. You can see it in my update video from last Friday. These are the type of things that really make me love the park. And some weeks you can't find any of them. And some weeks you might find two or three of them. But as far as I see how the parks should spend money and where they should make investments, as I do some of these more deep news videos 
I keep coming back around to Disney going very much out of their way to pay their employees as little as possible. And on Thursday, I walked all three hotels. I walked all of downtown Disney. I saw all the new beautiful topiaries celebrating diversity and inclusion. I walked all through Walt's original Magic Kingdom Disneyland, and I walked all through DCA. But the moment that meant the most to me was seeing Clarabelle dance, get lost in the magic, and then doing what I do, see how other guests respond. As I've gone deeper and deeper and I've come to realize lots of money spent on trying to go around paying their people more. It's a shame because Disney has built the park, but the cast members, they're the ones that have built the magic. Friends, thank you so much for taking this lap around Disneyland with me and looking back on the week that was. Next Monday is the 4th of July. I'm not sure what I'm going to do. You might see me on Tuesday, you might see me on Monday, or you might see me in two weeks. I don't know. But I do know this, you'll see me real soon.